For over 10 years, VOC Nation has taken listeners behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Our hosts are not only experts on the business, but have lived in the business. Subscribe and hear weekly podcasts from hosts like legendary pro wrestling journalist Bill After, former Impact Wrestling star Wes Briscoe, former WWE and AWA broadcaster Ken Resnick, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, former WCW star The Maestro, NWA legend The Raging Bull Manny Fernandez, and much more. VOC Nation programming is free on most major podcasting apps, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Radio.com. And video podcasts and bonus content is available on Patreon for as low as $3 a month. What are you waiting for? Head to VOCNation.com and dig into the most comprehensive podcast network built for pro wrestling fans. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at VOC Nation Wrestling Network and follow us on Twitter at VOC Nation. Hey guys, before we get started, I just wanted to read this commercial because it's an agreement that we made with a really great podcast and I want to tell you guys all about it. Pro Wrestling Interviews, it features guests who are hot indie stars as well as the greats of the ring. Each week you can join the amazing Velvet as well as Dr. John as they host this jam-packed hour of interviews, pro wrestling news, and entertaining guests. It's an hour you don't want to miss. Trust me, you don't want to miss it. Every Sunday, 9 p.m. Eastern, just go to ProWrestlingInterviews.com and it'll take you to their Facebook page where you can get the custom podcast link for that week. Don't miss a second of Pro Wrestling Interviews. That Sunday nights, 9 Eastern, ProWrestlingInterviews.com. Thank you for joining another edition of Bumps and Thumps Talk of Wrestling. I'm Brian Ferguson. My guest today started his career in 2006 on the independent pro wrestling circuit as a wrestler and a promoter. He was a two-time Universal Wrestling Federation 2006 heavyweight champion, two-time 3DW violent division champion, <laughs> and, <laughs> and a two-time Insane Wrestling Revolution heavyweight champion and part of the tag team known as the Dynasty. He retired from the ring in 2017 he is currently the founder and CEO of World Class Pro Wrestling Promotion. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to welcome Mr. Jerry Bostic. Jerry, thanks for coming on the show today. I appreciate it. Brian, my pleasure. You know, I'm actually not retired from the ring. I actually, I think oh. I've retired probably five times, but it's, I always say it's like the mafia. Like, you really can't leave. I actually wrestled in October. Oh, my God. that on Eric Embry. Apparently, I'm like the emergency player. You know, somebody needs to get in the game. Like, get in the game, kid. You haven't, yeah. you haven't played forever, but get in the game right now and, and just do it. <laughs> That's great. Well, hey, at least you have the ability to do that because some guys, once they retire, it's, you know, it's, that's it. I mean, they can't do it for physical reasons or whatever. It's just. You know, great. I'm very blessed to be able to even attempt to wrestle at the age of 40. So, you know. God has God has been good to me. That's great. I I, I understand that. So, well, let's get started a little bit. Uh, growing up, uh, where did you grow up? Uh, what was your family life like? Uh, any schooling? If you went to college or anything like that? Or, well, uh, I grew up in a small town called Long Grove, Oklahoma, which is right outside of Ardmore, Oklahoma, which is still a small town, but it's bigger than Long Grove. Ardmore is <laughs> uh, approximately. 
uh, an hour and a half between Dallas and Oklahoma City off the interstate both ways. Okay. And so, you know, it enables – it's a good thing promoting-wise because it enables me to run Oklahoma City, that area, as easy as it is for me to run Dallas because neither mm-hmm. one are too far. Okay. And, uh, you know, I, I had a really good life growing up. My parents, uh, great parents, they, I think they got a divorce when I was in the third or fourth grade. And, uh, you know, it was odd because I was really young at that age. But even then I kind of understood because they, they're like total polar opposites of each other. And it was a miracle to me, like, or, you know, I just never understood how they were together in the first place. <laughs> and they always did really right by me, even though they got a divorce. Like, I never saw them argue. Really. And, yeah. You know, I mean, it was an easy transition, you know, because, you know, at that age, I just, you know, just kind of got it. But, yeah. um, you know, I remember falling in love with wrestling at a very young age. I was flipping through the channels one day and I saw this big, muscled up, blonde headed guy. And, Hulkamania ran wild in my life to this day. And, and, you know, my son's even named after Hulk Hogan. Uh, his middle name is Hogan. I, I was nice enough oh, to make wow. it his middle name so people didn't have to know. And, uh, you know, Hogan had a huge impact on my life. Steam did. Uh, I loved Lex Luger. Yeah. Whenever I do wrestle on occasion, I wear a pink and black for Bret Hart. Uh, okay. You know, wrestling, I always wanted to be either an athlete or a wrestler. And uh, I, I'm a slightly better wrestler than I'm an athlete, but neither one of those are going to get me anywhere I need to go. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I was very simple, man. You know, I loved wrestling. I loved uh, G.I. Joe. I, I loved to watch uh, movies and television. You know, I was just your average kid. Loved video yeah. games, stuff like that. I, I graduated from Long Grove High School. Um, I attempted college one year, but I always tell the story, you know, um, you know, when if, if I went to college with my friends, which was kind of a mistake. You know, I, I could have went to uh, OU or a college like that, but I chose not to. I chose to go to a small school with them. And uh, that was the first time, you know, we'd ever been out on our own. And, uh, you know, we used to play a lot of video games, and we loved the college football video game. And if you went to class, they would skip your games. And so, you know, in my mind, I always related to – would you rather go to class or would you rather win national championships? And every single time I'm going to pick national championships. <laughs> the college wasn't necessarily the best thing for me. You know, out of college, um, I worked for an entertainment chain called Hastings Entertainment. There was about 150 of them across the United States. They were based out of Amarillo, Texas. And, uh, you know, honestly, it's probably one of the best things that ever happened to me at that time. I worked there for 12 years until the age I was 30 until the age of 30, and um, I couldn't do what I've done in wrestling without working for them. They were so good. I started off as a cashier, and I think I had my first management position position with them when I was like 20, 21. Um, I was over the video department, and eventually I ran every single department in that store and uh, ended up running uh, three stores for them at, at one time, actually. I, I ran mine and then oversaw a couple of others. And so I was kind of like right under um, you know, corporate management. By the time I left there, um, and you know, I I started wrestling. I actually had my first wrestling show while I was working at Hastings. They did not have cameras back in the day, and me and my friends decided we were going to put on a wrestling show on some futon mattresses. <laughs> we had a ladder match with the Walmart title belt hanging from the ceiling. We catered free McDonald's for people, and we threw each other through uh, store displays and some other stuff. <laughs> and we had like 50 people there. It was kind of crazy at the time. You know? Yeah. 
That's awesome. And from there, you know, I was still actually working at Hastings when I ran my first show. You know, uh, one of my dearest friends, Derek Prentice, uh, he's a huge wrestling And, you know, for I went, I actually went a couple of years without even watching wrestling. Uh, I told Eric Bischoff the story in person because he's worked, from, worked with me a couple of times. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine, he's helped me, counseled me, vouched for me, all kinds of stuff. And, uh, you know, whenever Hogan turned heel initially with the NWO, I quit watching wrestling for like three years. Oh. I was so mad. <laughs> and even at that point, you know, like I knew it was a work. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, like I could not fathom Hogan being a bad guy. So I actually missed a lot of the Monday Night Wars initially. I had to go back and watch them. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, when I told Eric Bischoff that story, he's like, are you kidding me? I was like, no, he got such a good laugh out of that. <laughs> and, you know, one day we were at work and I told my buddy, I was like, we should be wrestlers. And, you know, keep in mind, it's like 2005. Obviously, the Internet's not as evolved as it is today. There was no Zoom or anything like that back then, as yeah. you know. Yeah. And uh, he's like, how are we going to do that? I was like, I don't know. We'll look it up on the Internet. <laughs> and so, no lie, we looked it up on the Internet back then, and there was a training school in Oklahoma City. I was trained by Al Farad, uh, Travis Sanchez, and a lady named Dana. And me and my buddy, we drove to Oklahoma City every week for a year. Wow. And, uh, you know, initially they worked for this place called uh, Sooner Something Championship Wrestling. I don't know why I can't remember the name of it. And uh, that's the first time I ever met a famous wrestler, too. Honky Tonk Man was on one of their shows. And oh, I, wow. met him in the, I met him randomly in the bathroom. <laughs> and uh, he, I think he was getting if my memory serves me correctly I think he was getting changed in the bathroom it was kind of odd but uh, nonetheless he was he was a nice guy to me at that time and uh, you know after that uh, my trainer Al he had a falling out with them so we had nowhere to go and next thing you know we're in this girl named Dana's backyard and Dana is a sweetheart she, loves, she had her own little ring in the backyard and we trained and trained and trained and um you know, it's odd. I don't think a lot of people's journeys start off with promoting and wrestling at the same time. No. And, uh, you know, I had, I was so young and naive. I think I was about 25 at the time. And I thought that if you had a massive card of well-known people, that people would magically know about it and they would show up. And, I mean, it was a massive card. You know, yeah. I think the, the main event was Lex Luger in one of his final matches. And uh, Buff Bagwell versus Jeff Jarrett and Scott Steiner. Uh, wow. New Jack was on this show. Uh, it, at the time, Natalia Neidhart, uh, it was the biggest match she'd ever had. It was a triple threat match between her, Christy Hemme, and Gail Kim. And Molly Holly was the special guest referee. Dr. Death Steve Williams was on this show. Uh, wow. New, New Jack, the notorious New Jack. Uh May he rest in peace. But after that show, I never used him again and would never even consider using him. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, it was, yeah, he was very interesting. You know, at that time, uh, getting into the wrestling business and being naive is very hard. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I remember my stepdad was running the music the first show. And New Jan goes up and tells him to play his entrance music all match long. <laughs> And he gave him the explicit version of his song. Oh, and no. so Natural Born Killers, the explicit version, is playing throughout his entire match. After uh-huh. the match, and it's a bloodbath, after yeah. the match, he proceeds to get on the mic and start cussing out Vince McMahon like he's going to magically hear this promo. <laughs> and I remember standing in the tunnel uh, 
And it was wild to me because my first wrestling show was actually in the same Coliseum where I saw wrestling live for the first time. I saw the Von Erics, um, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Stunning Steve at the time, Chris Adams. Uh, they, they all came to Ardmore periodically. And so it was the same place that I saw wrestling for the first time. Me and Jeff Jarrett were sitting in the tunnel and he apologized for how New Jack acted. And, uh, you know, it was interesting. Uh, Rhino was on that show. Our Truth was on that show. Wow. Ron Kelly. Try to think of who else was Buff Bagwell. I said Buff Bagwell. Uh, yeah. It was a very star studded show for somebody that had no business or didn't know what they were doing. Yeah. <laughs> wow. You know, wow. Jeff Jarrett at the time was the NWA champion. So that the NWA champion was on the show, the TNA champion. And, uh, wow. you know, it was a massive learning experience. And it was kind of funny after that. You know, I didn't. I continued to run smaller shows in my hometown. Never left. Yeah. Uh, I eventually blew my knee out. Uh, cool. Combination of wrestling, dancing, and flag football. Sometimes those three don't go together. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> after that, I took a short break from wrestling. And I and you know, there's, there's many times like you can think you can, you can be done with it, but it's a very hard thing to be done. With. You know, yeah. It's not a not your typical job. And almost everybody that does wrestling loves it. Yeah. You know, there's the select few that didn't really love it that got into it, you know, like Sting, Ultimate Warrior, a few people here and there. But most of us in it love it. Mm-hmm. When you love something, it's hard to leave. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, so we started um, IWR, which became world class later on. We actually started that in 2016. Okay. And so we're um, running on our fifth year this year of this mm-hmm. promotion. And, uh, you know, whenever I came back to it, I just knew that, if I was going to do it, I was going to leave everything on the table, whether it be good or bad. Yeah. And it's been the extreme end of both of those things. Yeah. You know, I, I, God has blessed me to be able to do more than I ever thought possible. If there was a bucket list of everybody that I grew up watching that I wanted to work with, I think I've yeah. checked almost all of those boxes except yeah. Hogan. And, um, yeah. you know, in, in that sense, you know, I could never, I could never be thankful enough for everything that we've accomplished, you know, producing TV working with the NBA, college football, just so many different things that, yeah. you know, I, I'm a firm believer that the only person that's going to stop you from doing something is yourself. Yeah. You know, and, and I believe that's the absolute truth. If you really want something bad enough, you're going to figure it out. Yeah. And, you know, I think the first time around, you know, cause we took a break during COVID and it, and it was a really needed break. You know, I was running on fumes at that point. It's tough to run a company by yourself. Yeah. Whenever you're, you're not an independent company. You're not a major company. You're caught somewhere in between. It's a very dangerous place to be. And mm-hmm. so, you know, um, we'll go through all the details as we as we go on. But, yeah. you know, uh, you, you know, another amazing thing about growing up, too, is like my whole wrestling journey, my parents have been with me on almost the whole thing. Oh, <laughs> They've wow. come wow. to the majority of my shows. That's great. Uh, I've got to share it with my wife, my son, our kids. You know, it's, um, you know, like I said, man, like it. There's good times and bad times, but mm-hmm. the bad times are what builds your character. And, yeah, you know, God can bless you all day long with these opportunities and these amazing things, yeah. but what are you going to do? Yeah. And, you know, even that's been a journey for me. You know, I think at first, um, you know, when you get into this, you don't necessarily get into it for all the right reasons. You know, you want to be famous and you want to be on TV yeah. and all of these other things. And, you know, I still remember the day when I realized – uh, you know, like people look up to me and I was like, uh oh, I didn't ask for this one. <laughs> you know, I didn't ask for people to look up to me or to be a role model to anybody, you know. Yeah. Even like the three people I might be a role model to, I didn't ask for that. 
<laughs> and, you know, that changes things if you let it to a very large degree. Yeah. You know, I learned to use um, the power that I have in wrestling to try to help people as much as possible. And yeah. to, um, it helped me learn to relate to people on a whole new level. Mm-hmm. It helped me go through situations that I never had to go through in life. You know, um, I went from uh, at one point having tons of money to being absolutely broke and fighting all the way back from it. And, yeah. uh, you know, I never had to go through things like that. And I'm thankful that I did because, you know, if you really want to be a leader, you have to understand people. Yeah. And it's hard to relate to people that you haven't gone through the things they've gone through or anything similar. And so I think a lot of the tougher situations that I went through, you know, I think really they were to prepare me for this time around for us to be able to succeed because I know what to do and what not to do. And I know how to, you know, avoid those pitfalls and use wrestling to serve a greater purpose. Yeah. That's a good point. Uh, Very that's a, some deep thought there. I, uh, I'm a deep person, Brian. Yeah, that's great. No, I, you know, I've read about you a little bit. Uh, we were talking back and forth online today and, um, very interesting. Uh, and I, and your insight and getting into your, what you have now, your world class pro wrestling promotion. Um, uh, I looked at your website. You've got a lot. I'm sorry. I did that myself. <laughs> no, it's great. It's it's wonderful. And, and, and you've got it's a lot. It's not of, bad for somebody that's really not tech savvy. Yeah, I mean, no, I mean, it looks great to me. I mean, I couldn't do that, and I'm not tech savvy by any means. But you've got a lot of great uh, talent, and you've got a lot of uh, people that work there that are well known. Kevin Sullivan, Eric Embry, Iceman King Parsons. Your ladies' champion, Marty Bell. Uh, the card coming up here in a few weeks, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But you've got talent there. It's not people that are not – if you go to their website, your website, it's not people that you've never heard of. I mean, for the most part, you've got a collective group of people that will draw for you your promotion. And I, that's amazing. I mean, for a promotion of your size, I mean, it's an independent promotion – you have a lot of talent. I, I'm just wondering how the heck you did that. You know, honestly, um, whenever I started IWR, because, uh, you know, that's what it was before we changed the name to World Class, we changed the name to World Class whenever we started producing television. Okay. And okay. Um, whenever we started IWR, I started with no money at all. At the time, um, the girl I was with, uh, or that I was married to at that time, um, she would not let me spend $1 on wrestling. And so... Um, you know, like I said, I'd been in wrestling prior, but I'd taken a break. And so whenever we first got started, um, you know, we start we opened up a wrestling school. And we were going to produce our own talent to get us started and get going. And it worked out really well. And, you know, I think a lot of times wrestling schools are overpriced. Mm-hmm. Um, ours is one of the cheapest that I've ever heard of. But our ultimate goal was to find the best talent possible. Because not everybody can afford to go to, like, a Seth Rollins training school or Dudley's training school. And I don't even know how much they cost. That's just the first two schools that came top of my head. So I'm not knocking. Yeah. But, um, you know, we got our first show under the belt. And, um, you know, part of me leaving it all on the table this time was we were going to get out of our. And at the time, I remember the guy that helped me uh, get going. I mean, I'd ran it by myself, but he helped me. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, he's like, how are we going to do that? I was like, I don't know. We'll figure it out. That's kind of like a lot of things in this journey. You just figure it out. And yeah. uh, I created a true no-risk no fundraiser. I always relate it to, um, you know, oftentimes, uh, I don't know how it is out there, but around here, the schools will sell these candy bars. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, if somebody doesn't bring those candy bars back or somebody goes home and eats them all, somebody's paying for it. <laughs> but the fundraiser I created is a true no-risk fundraiser. The schools or nonprofits don't pay for them. And we still do those to this day. Okay. And, uh, you know, no matter how big we got, I never changed the rules on it. So the part, same partners I had when we got started, if I still have them now, we still get the same deal that they did when we were nothing. And, you know, to me, it's out of appreciation. There was a couple of people, um, first guy, Jason Sands, uh, at the time he ran the Boys and Girls Club in Durant. He took a chance on me and had no, no reason to. Mm-hmm. And from there, we were off and running. The first big one we got was a, a small town, Broken Bow, Oklahoma. And uh, the lady, Martha Battles, who we still do these fundraisers with, uh, you know, she bought a show from me. And she had no reason to. I wouldn't yeah. have bought a show from me. She took a chance. <laughs> I mean, you know, just being honest. Yeah. And, uh, you know, every time we go to that town, we draw at least 500 people, which is a lot. Yeah, know, that's great. Especially in a small town. Yeah. And um, every year, you know, they raise thousands of dollars for a middle school book club and they go to like Washington, D.C. and stuff like oh, wow. that. That's awesome. And so, you know, it, it was stuff like that that got us started. And then uh, there was a guy, Tracy Peltier. Uh, he was the head of entertainment at Fire Lake uh, Arena. We worked on him for a year um, to get a show there. And we eventually got on with them. We had run it. We had run our own big show before that. And uh, it was one of, Kevin Nash's last matches, he appeared on the show. Kevin Nash, Chavo Guerrero, Gail Kim. Because we built up enough money from uh, these fundraisers and our other shows to put on the show to take yeah. the gamble. Uh, Brodus Clay was on that show. He ended up losing his part of his booking fee back to me over betting on uh, Manny Pacquiao beating Floyd Mayweather. I don't know what he was thinking. He's pretty manly. He had to give me some of his money back then. Uh, I'm trying to think of who else was on that show. Madison Rain was on that show. And so, you know... Uh, I've never lost money on Kevin Nash. Kevin Nash has always been great. Uh, he's yeah. pretty pissed at me the first time I used him. But, you know, uh, I just didn't do my due diligence. I'd been out of the game a while. I'd never dealt with anybody on that level. And, uh, you know, I asked one of my buddies. He helped us out at the hotel in Dallas the first night. And uh, I asked him if it was nice. You know, I asked him, and he said it was. Well, Nash lands, and he's like, um, he's like, what the – man. He's like, you got me staying at a one-star hotel? And I'm like, no, man. He said it's nice. He's like, look at the reviews. I'm like, (laughs) so we get there, and it's really not that bad. It wasn't great, but it wasn't that bad. And we're sitting there, and and he's texting me to, like, Midnight Driver. And, and, you know, I deserved it. I should have. And he's like, at one point, he's like, I couldn't have slept on this bed in 1996. (laughs) You know, and this was 2016, so yeah. I mean, geez, that was like 20 years ago he couldn't have slept on that <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and so, you know, the next day we do a signing. We head to Ardmore. Uh, and, uh, you know, another rule is you don't put them in motels. Well, nobody gave me that memo either. Mm-hmm. And so in Ardmore, you know, it's a smaller town. We didn't have a lot of hotels at that time Yeah, and uh, a lot of nice ones. And this had actually been – it was a motel that had been actually uh, been redone and on the inside really nice. We left him like a gift basket and all this stuff. Me and Chavo get there, and um, he's outside taking pictures of it. I'm like, what in the hell is he doing? 
We go there. I'm like, are you okay? And he's like, I'm taking pictures of the shit sending my wife. But I don't stay in motels. I'm like, <laughs> you know. So we go do the signing, and then we go out that night. And, uh, you know, I bought him a, we bought him a bottle. I had a partner at the time. We bought him a bottle of this expensive wine. And, uh, you know, he was absolutely just cool as ice after that. To this yeah. day, one of my favorite people to work with. He's super yeah. intelligent, super good dude. You know, the show yeah. run, the show rolls around. And, uh, you know, we risked everything we had on the show. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we ended up drawing, I think, around 1,700 people. Wow, that's and, good. Uh, it was a huge blessing. I remember going in the locker room because I was actually the company's champion at the time. Yeah, I was that guy. You know, promoter <laughs> pissed himself on himself. <laughs> no, actually, it wasn't my call, but at the time, it wasn't a bad idea, especially with it being an art you know, because yeah. that's where I'm from. I go in there, and uh, Nash is like, what do you got me in the main event for? And I'm like, oh, here we go again. I'm like, well, what do you think we should do? And he's like, I've already had my time, man. I've already been in all these main events. It's your time. You're going on last. And I'm like, don't nobody want to see me last? <laughs> you know, and it was amazing because they actually did stay around, and it was actually a really good match. And, yeah, you know, but and he and he was like, uh, you know, and he's like, and I'm not going over either. I've gone over so many times in my life. My job is to come here and help you. And so he put my guys over, and uh, you know, and stuff like that that just yeah, um, you know, it always stays with you. Like I never forget yeah. things. And as we grew, you know, the word got out, you know, whenever you treat somebody good, mm -hmm. um, they tell their friends. And I always felt like that was right. I still feel like to this day, that's one thing we're really good at. You know, we don't treat you any different than I treat anybody else. Yeah. And I try to treat you the way I want to be treated. Yeah. And so, you know, those relationships kept getting built and built and built. And I think the first, you know, this last go around before COVID, um, at one point we became very dependent on names and, um, you know, TV talent. And that's a good and bad thing. You know, um, this time around, we've restructured things very differently. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I did almost every job at first. I mean, it was me, and whenever we started producing TV, uh, my guy Randy Price, uh, one of the best producers there is, it was just me and him doing everything. He would do okay. graphics, he would produce the TV show, cut it, deliver it to the stations, it was just me and him. And, uh, you know, so this time around, I've expanded. I've went out and gotten help, and we have James Beard, uh, who's former world-class referee, well-known in this area, worked with the NWA. Uh, he was a right-hand man there, very skilled in every area. It's me and him, and then uh, Kevin Sullivan and Eric Henry do the booking. Yeah. And it's been such a blessing to, to have those guys, you know, take a lot of the weight off my shoulders because in a lot of ways it hampered us last time. Because, you know, yeah. if you're just one person doing this job, if you have one issue – well, then you're tied up handling this issue. Who's handling everything else? Yeah. Nobody. <laughs> yeah. I, it, it's amazing to me that, uh, and I can tell by your character, the way you speak. I mean, I've never really met you in person, uh, it, that you are a truly good person and, and care about this business. And people notice that. I think that's why you got the talent that you have. Because, like I said, you go to that website, World Class Pro wrestling.com you look at that roster you have and your booking agents and, and i was surprised i'm like holy cow uh 
you know, you know, like I said, it's been a blessed five years, man. You know, if I, I didn't live so uh, far away, I'd go to Irving, Texas on December 11th, but I lived like eight hours away from there. <laughs> I mean, because I saw your card, and we're going to talk about the, that in a minute. The craziest one for me was Sting, no doubt. You know, uh, ooh, it's a deep story, too. Uh, you know, I love Sting. I remember growing up, uh, one year I was Sting for Halloween. My mom made me, uh, you know, whenever he beat Flair for his first championship, made me the blue tights, the red, white, scorpion on them. And, uh, you know, I had the rat tail and the whole thing. And, uh, you know, it came about through uh, my partner at the time. He knew a guy that uh, used to train Sting's son at football. So he naturally made that connection. And uh, Jim Ross also played a part in it. Jim Ross is a very important part of my story. So is Gene Oakland. Uh Those guys uh, really worked and developed me and, and taught me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I remember having Sting the first time. And now uh, Sting's coming back in February. And I think that'll be like our fifth time together. Uh, oh, wow. That's great. You know, he, he was a part. Uh, me and Jim Ross created the super event Oklahomania. And, uh you know, it was his idea. I remember sitting there with him. And we couldn't come up with the name, or I couldn't. He's like, well, let's call it Oklahomania. And I laughed at him. He's like, you think that's funny? I was like, no, sir, I thought that was a joke. He's <laughs> like, it's not a joke. There's not anybody else that has an event like that. And, uh, you know, so we came down basically to Sting and Shawn Michaels, and we rolled the dice on Sting. And I might have been a little biased. I don't know. You know no disrespect <laughs> to Shawn Michaels, but I might have been a little biased. Yeah. And, you know, I remember then um, – WWE, I got the old nasty cease and desist from them over that event, which makes, I mean, which always still still to this day blows my mind, like why they would be concerned with little Jerry. <laughs> I remember getting this email from their lawyer, and um, they had went back like two to three years on my social media, went through everything. And they had sent me pictures of things I had used that belonged to them, and I would used eight pictures in three years. That's how hard they were looking. Jeez. And uh, I thought they were going to if I didn't take them down, they were going to sue me for $1,500 a picture. And so at the time, I told my buddy, I was like, check this out. He's like, what are you going to do? I was like, I'm going to let them sue me. I was like, I'm going to play the martyr, let them sue me, and eat the publicity. And, uh, you know, I was like, 1,500 times eight, it'll be worth it. And he's like, you're a dumbass. Reread that. Email. So I reread it. And it was 150000 a picture, not oh. 1500 <laughs> So that was over a million dollars. It's like, we better take those down right now. Yeah. And, you know, so after that, um, I remember when the second Oklahoma rolled around. And it was a really historic event for us. The first one drew around 1,000 people, which was a good turnout. Yeah. Um, the second one, WWE ran against me the same day in Oklahoma. And I thought, what is their problem? Like, pick on somebody <laughs> else, you big bullies. Yeah, You know, like times right. have changed. You can't bully people anymore. Did you miss that memo? <laughs> <laughs> right. And, you know, so they – and it was a house show. But, you know, um, I like odd challenges like that. Mm-hmm. So we came out swinging. Um, you know, we had we headlined the show with Sting and Kevin Von Erich. And they had never been in the ring together before. Oh, and, you okay. know, leading up to that event, uh, I remember – Sting called one day, and we were randomly talking. We don't, at that point, we never really talked about personal things. Mm-hmm. You know, in the middle of this conversation, uh, he's like, yeah, you know, like, um, anytime you want to talk to me, just let me know. He's like, I know you have a void in your life. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I mean, 
this went from like wrestling booking talk to that. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, well, I know you have a void in your life with God. And I'm like, I believe in God. He's like, well, I know you do. And you're a really good hearted person. But anytime you want to hear my testimony, I'd love to let you know. And I'm like, wow. I have to go back to work. Because yeah, at that yeah. time I had a job. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so the event starts coming around and, and, uh, you know, these Lex and Sting are really good friends in real life. And, yeah. Uh, they don't see each other or they didn't at that point. They don't see each other as much anymore because yeah. of Lex's health issues. Right. And so, um, Sting had, uh, I, I wanted to bring Lex in for Sting, you know, so they could spend time together. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Thing was like, uh, yeah, you know, if it's not too much trouble, I know you've already done me a favor, but I'd like to get in the ring with Kevin since I've never been in the ring with him. I'm like, oh, I'm sure we can work that out. And, you know, so we're, we have this WWE house show going against our mega show, and we actually outdrew them. I think we had around 2,200 people for that show. Oh, wow. And we beat them. And, um, you know, our, before that show, Sting lives outside of Dallas. Okay. And, um, uh, he was like, yeah, you know, I think we're going to stay the night in Ardmore. And I'm like, that's strange. He's like, uh, can you send me a list of five-star hotels? I'm like, we don't have that here, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And then he's like, well, we're going to stay and go to church the next day. Can you send me a list of churches? And uh, I'm like, yeah, I'll send you a list of churches. So I send him like a list of five of the bigger churches. Well, lo and behold, he picks the church I used to go to. And um, at the end of the conversation, he's like, oh, yeah, uh, we're kidnapping you and taking you with us. I'm like, what? <laughs> so, you know, the show rolls around. And um, right after that, I tell my mom about it. And she's like, well, you you know that's where your son's mother goes to church. And it's amazing, you know, um, God works on his time. doesn't work on our time. And um, and he's pleasantly at work oftentimes whenever we don't see it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that day rolls around, and uh, the show is a colossal disaster. Lost no. disaster. Going into that weekend, um, you know, I don't know that I've ever really spoken numbers in public over it. The show is $20,000 short. And, uh, man, it makes me emotional when I tell this story. Um, I remember Kevin Von Eric texting me, telling me to, uh, uh, you know, it was going to be a great day. God's going to be with us and all this st- other stuff. I'm like, I'm not trying to hear that shit right now, man. I'm $20,000 in the hole. <laughs> and uh but Kevin's such a good dude and uh he's really done right by me. And yeah. so the show rolls around and uh, and I've done this fifteen years, you know, fifteen years. Mm-hmm. So the show comes and goes. I don't count the money because I don't feel like seeing it. <laughs> the next day rolls around and we go to church. And uh not only not only was um that the day that uh or not not only was that the place where my son's mother went to church, um, but it was also the day she was actually getting baptized, oddly enough. Wow. Wow. And so at the back of this church, it's me, my son, Sting, Sting's wife, and Lex Luger. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was really deep. And afterwards, uh, he's like, hey, man, you want to go to Starbucks? He's like, <laughs> I see what you're doing here. It's like, but I will go to Starbucks. And so we go and, um, you know, we sit down and, and sure enough, here comes the testimonies. And, uh, you know, he brought up a couple of things that happened to the show. He was like, yeah, he goes, you know, 
I know you're a really hard, good-hearted dude. He goes, you know, there's not a lot of promoters like you. In and uh, he's like, but all the good you do, he's like, you have no idea because you haven't been there of the people you can touch if you quit trying to control everything and you put your faith in God and you let him do it for you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was crazy to me because, uh, you know, in a lot of ways he was right. I've always wanted to control things, you know, to try to control my own destiny instead of let it play out, do my part and let it play out. Yeah. And, uh, you know, their testimonies were deep, Stephen Legs both. And, uh, you know, Legs uh, was paralyzed at one point, and he was never even supposed to be able to really move again. And I remember after that talk, um, I remember, like, Sting went to put his wheelchair in the back of his SUV, and Lex gets up and walks to the car, and I'm like, what are you doing, man? You're supposed to be walking. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, he had his hand on the side of the car helping him. But, yeah. you know, I mean, another testament to God's work. And, you know, Lex said something that really stood out to me. He said, uh, you know, Jerry, like, a lot of people feel sorry for me now. He was like, I'm happier than I've ever been in life because my relationship with God despite everything that's happened. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they left and they went back. And so finally I had to look at this money. And I counted it. And, uh, you know, I can't remember the exact amount now, but it was still thousands of dollars. I was like, well, it was better than last year. You know, chalk it up. And um, we had a show the very next week. And so I remember trying to book everything for the next weekend, the next day, and my car started getting, my car started to climb. And uh, the next day I called my buddy, who was my personal banker, my lifelong best friend, and um, or one of my lifelong best friends. I said, hey, man, you know, like, how bad is my account? Um, I have to come put this money in there and start booking this next show because I hadn't been to the bank yet. He's like, what are you talking about? And I was like, you know, I used my card. My card was declined. So how bad is it? He's like, oh, yeah, like uh, yesterday all the bank services crashed and it was a banking holiday, so nobody was here to fix it. And I was like, oh, like, okay, well, how bad is it? Cause I need to come put this money in there. And he's like, what are you talking about? You have X amount of money. And like I said, I can't remember exactly what it was, but um, the two amounts of money matched up to where the show didn't lose a dollar at all. Wow. I've been in wrestling long enough to know that an independent wrestling show doesn't pop $20,000 in one day. It just doesn't hardly ever happen. And it did. And I remember, you know, just getting on my knees and crying and thanking God. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I text Sting. And he was like, uh, he's like, you know, you planted the seeds and you reap what you sow. Yeah. And, about that time, here comes Lexi. He's like, Stinger told me the good news, man. Great job. And I'm like, of course he did. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. Uh, you know, so it's, you know, working with Sting has been a so rewarding. So yeah. And I always say he is like the standard of what anybody in wrestling should be like. You know, yeah. if Sting is humble and genuine, then none of us have a reason not to. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I've heard a lot of things about him and how great he is uh, as a person. And that story is very, very touching. I mean, it, it, that's, um, that's real life. Yeah. yeah, That's, that's, that's that's wonderful. I mean, yeah, I mean, great guy. And, you know, like I said before, you seem like such a good person, good hearted. And, 
Yeah. I'm not perfect by any means. But I, I think I've probably made mistakes every single day. Yeah. But the only difference now is that, uh, you know, I know those mistakes, and it goes for anybody. Your mistakes don't define. You know, yeah. Your heart, your intentions, God knows those things. And uh, everybody makes mistakes. Nobody's yeah. perfect. But just right. because you made mistakes doesn't make you a bad person. Right. And, and for a long time, I felt that. And, yeah. You know, it was funny because uh, my best friend, the one was my personal banker. You know, he tried to tell me stuff forever, but I'm not trying to hear it from him. Yeah. And, and, you know, God is so smart. He knows or he knew that, I, you know, it would take somebody like one of my heroes to come talk this sense into me. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, kind of after that conversation, that's whenever uh, a lot of things changed for me. And I realized yeah. that. Uh, and I, And I started talking it to my talent, too. Know, uh, mm-hmm. These people that come to your shows, or these people that support you in general, have this ability to pay attention. To them. They're mm-hmm. supporting. Give yeah. them something back. When they come to your shows, be able to look at them and, and see if maybe they might need something from you. Not your merchandise. <laughs> right. They might need you to just speak to them. Ask yeah. them how they're doing. Notice if something's going on in their And, uh, you know, I feel like not just me, but but my talent. Um, a lot of them have done some really good, solid work for people. Yeah. You know, over the last four years or so, and it all started with that. Yeah, that's amazing. That's that's. Uh, I don't even know what to say. I mean, that's such a touching <laughs> story that. Uh, I didn't know what to say at the time either. <laughs> Trust me. Trust me. Um. I was going to talk to you a little bit. Some of your up and rising stars you have, um, in your opinion, and I don't want you to, do you think a lot of those guys, and, and men and women, have that potential to go on to the AEW impact, your nemesis WWE? Do they, do they have? I, I, don't, I don't have any hard feelings, WWE. I have no hard feelings. Don't do that to me again. <laughs> you, you know, um, we had one, Fuego Del Sol, who went on to sign with AEW. Um, he's the first one out of our group to do so. We've had a lot of people appear on AEW and WWE, um, but he's the first one to get a contract. I absolutely do believe that in a lot of people. Um, you know, I think you obviously have to have the right character. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm a firm believer that that character – in whatever way is is the best character is a natural extension of yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, it's got to be something that you believe in because if you don't believe in it and you're not buying into it, how can you sell it to someone else? And so I think that's really important. I think there's people kind of, um, it's hard to find everybody that has every one of these faults. You know, yeah. it, it starts with your entrance. It ends the way you leave every single thing in between. And it's not just the big things, it's the small things. So you got this character. What music are you coming out to? How does this music relate to your character? How does this music make people understand you before you even get in the ring? Your movements, you know, your uh, your facial expressions, um, the way you sell moves, the way that you interact with, you know, each person, the way you can read a crowd. There's different kinds of crowds. You know, there's um, like AEW. Uh, the majority of them are probably Smart Mark fans. You know, and, and they're like. Hormonal males, like 18 to 40. 
<laughs> you know, uh, WWE is a mixture of, you know, WWE has a way stronger female base. Yeah. Um, you know, AEW, you don't see a lot of kids at AEW. Um, you know, like in our, in our instances, whenever you're doing school fundraisers, really a lot of the shows in general, you're performing in front of families. Yep. You know, so if you're, um, if you're a ring of honor type worker, you know, you have to watch how you connect with these people. When you work in front of a family, these people want to be involved. They don't really care about all of your flashy moves. They want you to involve them. Obviously, you still have to be a good worker. Now, I remember a couple of guys that worked the show. In fact, it was one of our Broken Bow shows. And they went out and they did all these high spots one after another. And the people just sat there. They didn't cheer, boo, hardly anything because they were so lost of what was going on. And it was yeah. one after the other. And I remember they came to the back. And uh, I was like, what do you guys think of that match? And they were like, you know, we missed a couple things, but it was pretty good. And I was like, did it cross your mind that they really weren't cheering for you guys? And they were like, yeah, it's kind of dead. And I'm like, guys, whenever you go out, learn to read your crowd. I'm like, if you guys, and I wasn't knocking them because they're very talented. Actually, yeah. both of them are in AEW now. And, um, you know, but at the time I was like, learn how to read people. Mm-hmm. These people just wanted you to involve. Them. You know, when you do a move, make eye contact with somebody. Yeah. Take your time in between these moves. When you do a high spot, tell the story of how you got that high spot. Instead of just high spot, high spot, high spot, high spot, high spot. You know, like tell, like involve them. Whenever you're going out there, you have these people's emotions in the palm of your hand, and it's up to you what you do with it. Yeah. And you know, I'll forever believe the business obviously evolves like anything else, mm-hmm. but I'll forever believe that you cannot have an emotional attachment to a wrestling. You have an emotional attachment to that person. Yeah. And if that person has no character, cannot talk, does not relate to people, it's hard to buy in. You look yeah. at the biggest draws of all time. Look at Hogan. Hogan wasn't the best worker in the world. Right. Look at Stone, uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin. When he was Stone Cold, he wasn't the best worker in the world. He was a way better worker when he was Stunning Steve. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Flair yeah. went out and did, like, the same thing over and over and over. He was great at it, but it was <laughs> a, a lot of the same. Yeah. Look at the Von Erics. Some of the biggest draws in the history of pro wrestling were not the greatest workers, but they were people that could connect with you. You know, like, I, you know, one thing about the AEW crowd, uh, you know, I remember whenever the Bullet Club, club was very prominent and uh, you know it was kind of the teller of AEW I guess it was uh, New Japan Ring of Honor all that yeah they were so smart about their marketing you know if you lost if you lost your grip on reality you might think you were the next member of the Bullet Club <laughs> you know they were that good at marketing <laughs> that and it was it, and you know that, yeah. that um I remember when Ring of Honor really peaked I mean it was very very smart marketing with the Bullet Club you know yeah. I think the downfall of the Ring of Honor is uh you know, a lot of them went on to AEW, and, mm-hmm. and even that was so over at that point that WWE adapted the Ring of Honor style in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know, I think now that's a big part of all the cuts WWE is making. Um, I think they're trying to go back to how they used to be instead of adapting, you know, because at the time I was shocked that WWE would change the formula to suit anybody. Right. And, yeah. Because I mean, but if you think about it, the main talent in WWE, a lot of them came from Ring of Honor at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, or a lot of them came from the Indies. And now you know they're saying they're not going to hire indie talent anymore, and they're going to go back to developing their own talent. And honestly, 
in my opinion, that's probably how it should AEW's done a great job of bringing in indie talent and mm-hmm. the Ring of Honor workers. And, you know, especially during the pandemic, uh, AEW gave opportunities to so many people. They gave yeah. work to so many people that didn't have anywhere to work. And, you know, that's yeah. where Fuego really did well. They cleaned up there. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember one of our fans was like, man, you know, if only he had won more matches. And I'm like, you just don't get it. Yeah. You don't get it. Yeah. He was over for every other reason than winning a match. It didn't even matter, you know. Yeah. And I was so happy when he got that contract signed. I think whenever you come across these people, it's your job to do your part as a promoter. Mm-hmm. If you can, to help them get to the next level, to help them be seen by some of these people, to help put them in matches with some of these people that might can get them where they want to go. And yeah. if you can develop them along the way, you know, it's um, your job to do so. You know, yeah. My, uh, but like my strengths are, are definitely character development, promo talk, stuff like that. Uh, mm-hmm. Definitely not the wrestling end of it, you know, but uh, that's not true that's at all. You surround with people that are better. You, you're, you're a champion. Multiple yeah. times. Yeah, my own company. <laughs> well, you still did it. I mean, if you weren't a draw, you wouldn't put yourself as a champion if you're not going to draw money. I mean, you know, that, at that time, at that time, I I really was in this area, you know, for us. Yeah. Um, but you know, and and it was also a decision made by a committee, not just myself, to do yeah. that. Um, but you know, now, you know. Being a champion is a lot more than just being a champion. Yeah. To me, being a champion is like um, this person's the figurehead of your company. Yeah. This person is is what your company stands for. Mm -hmm. You know, whenever we uh, got the Von Erics, I think for probably three to four years, I was pretty much the only promoter that used Marshall and Ross. You know, it's it's tough because they live in Hawaii. They don't live in Texas. Yeah. Hawaiian airfare is very expensive. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they're such great guys. And, uh, you know, they to me they were a big representation of, of what we stood for. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's sad whenever you think about all the tragedies that hit that family. But yeah. Marshall and Ross are not those guys. You know, Kevin did a great job of raising them to ensure that that would not happen. Yeah. And you know, I remember when we decided to change the name to World Class, we uh got our first television deal and it, you know it's funny, we didn't even have a TV show at the time. A guy called me because uh, he knew one of my guys that worked for me. He called me from NBC in Missouri. And, uh, I didn't even know at the time that, that NBC, ABC, CBS, like they had local franchises like McDonald's. Wow. And I thought they, I thought NBC was just NBC. Yeah. And so the dude calls me, and he's like, yeah, you know, uh, senior stuff. And we had this wrestling show on that did well. They went out of business, and we want to replace it with your product. And I was like, oh, man, that's great. But I don't have a TV show. <laughs> And uh, he's like, well, you know, we, we saw your stuff on YouTube. And uh, I was like, yeah, that's on YouTube, but that's not a TV show. Yeah. And he's like, well, you know, it's uh, every every uh, Saturday following Saturday Night Live. And I was like, we'll take it. And he's like, okay, well, how soon can you hand me the show? I was like, well, now we're back to the original issue that I don't have one. Yeah. I was like, I, I need a month. Give me a month, and I will have you something. So, you know. Uh, I get off the phone with him, and I, and, I, and I watch a lot of videos. I read a lot of articles. And Jim Ross lived uh, – he, he still comes back to Oklahoma every now and then, but I think he, he mostly stays in Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. Um, JR lived about an hour from me. And 
he helped me so much and opened so many doors for me. I would literally take one of my notepads and just go sit with him. We'd go wherever, whatever restaurant he wanted to go to. Go to and then I would just sit with him with, not, with my notepad and just listen to him talk and just write things down left and right, write things down. He yeah. taught me how to write television. And lo and behold, within a month, we delivered our uh, first TV show. And, uh, you know, we ended up having, before COVID, you know, because we didn't run over COVID, but I think we ended up with uh, four local affiliates, uh, wow. a couple wow. NBCs, ABC, uh, My Network yeah. TV. Uh, we had international TV in Israel. Oh, and, wow. You know, um, it, it's just amazing to even think that because, you know, it's all these things that happen that make you – that you, you know, if you're being honest, most people never dream of that stuff, you know. Yeah. Yeah, no, and, you're right. And, you know, uh, before we came back with uh, in October, you know, we sold our uh, back catalog, or actually I licensed it, I did not sell it. Um, I licensed it to a newer streaming service called CGTV. And, you know, as far as I know, it's one of the biggest independent wrestling deals of all time. Oh, wow. Uh, wow. That in itself was a real blessing. Yeah. yeah. Most of the time when they come to you, it's, um, you know, they're not paid deals. They want to just make harder agreements with you about, oh, well, you know, you can be on this over-the-top thing. Whenever we sell some advertising time, you can have like 17 cents or something like that. <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? And yeah. so I've always sat on it because I, I believe that the product was good enough to be on something yeah. and to be bought instead of bartered. And, uh, you know, it eventually worked out for us. And, uh, yeah. But, you know, whenever you're – we never had a home base throughout IWR World Class. We were always traveling from town to town. Mm-hmm. We produced shows in Oklahoma, Texas, Arkansas. I think our biggest year was 2018, and we produced 40 live events that year, which is an wow. insane amount of live events for an independent wrestling company. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, I think we already have 30 on the books for next year. The biggest wow. difference is, you know, I've surrounded myself with people – that know what to do and know how to get things done. Yeah. And you just have to just, you know, you have to give them what they need and let them go to work. Yeah. And, you know, one of the biggest changes too, is we have uh, two home bases now starting in January. Uh, we'll be running the venue we're running in December. Uh, we'll be running Southern Junction in Irving and the NITEC center in North Richland Hills, which are about 30 minutes apart. Okay. We'll be running both of those every single month. So we have two home venues. And, you know, whenever you're going from town to town and producing TV like we were before, they were good shows. But they were, I would say, they were highly produced spot shows. With us having a home venue now and focusing on the Dallas market, yeah. Uh, yeah. now we're focusing more on episodical television, okay. you know, which Eric and Kevin both excel at. Mm-hmm. And so we'll be diving way deeper into storylines. Uh, we're going back. You know, I felt like our product before was kind of all over the place. I mean, we did some crazy stuff. You know, we had regular wrestling shows. But then, uh, you know how WWE has done some cinematic things. Yeah. I was doing that before they did. <laughs> I, I had come up with this idea, and it's crazy. Uh, do you remember the 1980 soap opera Dallas? I do. Who shot JR? So, yes. <laughs> I tried to have JR shot, but he didn't want to get shot. So we were, I was in Hawaii staying with the Von Erichs one week, and, uh, I was trying to show him something on my phone and I clicked on my tour of South Fork and I was like, we should do a wrestling show. There. And so I called the lady from South Fork and for whatever crazy reason, she loves the eye. Wow. And so then I wanted to put together, I was going to, I was going to combine wrestling and Dallas in the one. And um, so I called John Morrison first, you know, which is, 
so sad to see that he got released. Uh, yeah. You know, honestly, somebody like John, um, he's better off elsewhere because John is one of the most creatively intelligent people I've ever worked with. Okay. And for those of you listening or watching that don't know, John actually written, wrote, produced, and paid for his own feature film called Boone the Bounty Hunter. It was on Netflix. I'm not sure if it's still there. Okay, I'll have to check it out. I didn't know that. Uh, it, it's absolutely hilarious. Okay. And so immediately when I was thinking about who shot JR, I was thinking, all right, well, somebody's got to find the killer. And I was like, oh, Boone the Bounty Hunter. So I called John. I'm like, hey, man, I know this is going to sound absolutely nuts, but hear me out. I started telling him about this plot, you know. And I was like, you know, we're going to have, we have JR get shot, boom, the bounty hunter investigates, we find the killer, whatever. And he loved it. That's so, awesome. bam, we're off, we're off and running. And then I go to, uh, JR was out of the country at the time. So I went to Raphael Morphy, who's uh, his manager. Now he's the AEW touring manager. He was a former WWE tour manager. Okay. And I gave him this idea. And he's like, uh, yeah, I don't think Jim's going to do that. And so I'm like, well, he's not really going to get shot. <laughs> so finally, I have the conversation with him about it. And he's like, I ain't doing that hokey shit. He's like, I didn't like doing it for Vince, and he pays me a lot more than you do. And I was like, eh, fair enough, fair enough. So, you know, we, but we run through with it. Uh, the lady at the venue, I said, hey, are you by any chance close with anybody from the TV show? And she said, yes, Charlene Tilton, who played Lucy Ewing, is one of my good friends. I said, I know this sounds crazy, but I need her to be a part of this show. And so she calls Charlene Tilton, sets me up to talk to her. She loves the idea. Little did I know she'd never even seen wrestling a day in her life. Oh, no. So Charlene Tilton <laughs> comes in for this show. We show up the day to shoot the show. And we have no idea at all what we're doing since J.R. won't get shot. <laughs> and so we're just kind of sitting there early in the morning walking around. Me and John, we go to the gift shop, and he's like, there it is right there. He goes, we can take one of those J.R. Ewing hats and say somebody stole it, and they're going to leave the ranch if I don't find them. I'm like, that's it, you know, because J.R. Ewing was such an iconic character, Yeah, Larry, Larry Hagman. And um, so that's what we did. And we turned this into a three-part miniseries. Oh. And um, – I remember I had sent it to a guy in Hollywood that JR had hooked me up with. And he calls and, because, uh, you know, at first you don't know how good it's going to be until you watch it back. Yeah. And yeah. we really don't write a lot of things, honestly. We get people um, kind of like the synopsis of what we want out of it, but then we let them be themselves. I'm not yeah. a big person for writing people's promos. I think that that is just, it just waters things down. Like if I write things for 10 different people, then you're just having 10 different versions of me. And I and I'm I've never been a fan of it. Yeah. And so uh <laughs> you know, we watch it back and I'm like, Oh my god, this is really good. So we send it off and this guy calls and he goes, How in the hell did you think of this? And so I give him the rundown and he goes, Well, you know WWE has done Hollywood things so many times. He's like, What do you think of those? And I was like, Well, I think they're bad. And he's like, Yeah, they're awful. I said, well, I think it's just because most of the time the people that are involved are there to put their own things over and not to put over wrestling. And, uh, you know, that's what made ours different was Charlene was there to put over wrestling. 
ago, but I was, you know, I remember being scared at the time that Charlene was going to get booed out of the building like WWE fans typically do celebrities. But everybody adored her because she was so amazing and such a sweet lady. You know, they gave her like a standing ovation as she walked out with JR's hat. And, um, you know, it turned out that dastardly PCO was uh, the guy that stole the hat. (laughs) And after, you know, the third part of the miniseries, it was funny, Dave Meltzer, uh, the the 32nd opening to the third episode, Dave Meltzer called the greatest 30 seconds of wrestling he's ever seen in his life. That's awesome. That's great. And, you know, so um, the guy was like, so what production company did you use to do this? And I'm like, man, we're an independent wrestling company. We don't have a production company. I said, I have a, I have a group of great guys with mismatched cameras that care about what they're doing. And I have yeah. one of the best video producers and editors there is. Yeah. And he was like, wow, okay. He's like, so how many days did it take you to shoot this? And I was like, Again, we're an independent wrestling company. We did that in one day. He's like, you mean to tell me that you did all of this in one day? I was like, yeah, and we, and we winged the whole thing. And he was really in such disbelief. And, you know, like I said earlier, I just don't think there's anything that you can't do. Yeah. And we eventually did four or five more of those miniseries. You know, we were the first wrestling company ever to uh, produce a show in conjunction with Division One College Football. We wow. had, um, yeah, we opened up the season for the University of North Texas in 2000, I think it was 18. And um, we broke their attendance record. Granted, most of them were there to watch football. Right. <laughs> but I think we had about five <laughs> to 6,000 that stayed for wrestling. Wow. And, you know, it featured Kevin Von Erich came back for that show, too. It featured the boys, uh, yeah. Marshall and Ross teaming up with Iceman King Parsons, who wrestled. Wow. Against uh, and Lacey Von Eric was there too against uh, my my guys the Aero Club, and you know it was such an amazing event because you know it was it's tough to pull off something that's never been done. Yeah, and yeah. so you know I'm thinking we're going to build the ring and they'll drive it back out. They'll drive it out on the field after the show, mm-hmm. but apparently not because they had some kind of expensive turf that they couldn't have ruined, and so we literally had to stack the ring against the 50 yard line and build it fast as we could after the show. Wow. And so whenever we figured out we were going to have to go that route, I was like, okay, I'm going to find another ring. And uh, one of my friends, Knight Davis, actually helped me out with that. Uh, It was very hard to find another ring. And we built that ring on the concourse before the show. So when people came into the – or before the game. Whenever people came into the game, uh, we had a meet and greet going on there. And as soon as the show – or as soon as the game was over – we started the show on the concourse ring and we had all the video cameras playing it on the big screen while we built the ring on the field. Yeah. And it ended up being a tremendous success. And then we went on and, and did kind of the same thing with uh, the Oklahoma city thunders developmental league team. Yeah. And uh, you know, it, it's just cool things like that because I love sports in general. So yeah. combine yeah. those worlds and then do to do the Dallas things too. Yeah. You know, like I said, we were kind of all over the place before doing all kinds of crazy stuff, having great times. But mm-hmm. I think now we're, we're streamlining our product more. We're going back to more of a, an old world-class type product. It's going to be yeah. a much more yeah. physical product. It's going to be um, a much more believable product. It's almost like a, you know, I think in a sense, AEW was an alternative to WWE. I think yeah. that's the reason why they've done so well. Mm-hmm. People wanted something other than WWE. Yeah, and 
for good reason. You know, I don't think WWE, and I'm not knocking them, I'm not one of those people, right. but I, I don't think this is the best TV WWE has produced lately yeah. in the last few years. Yeah. And AEW has capitalized off that. You know, an AEW show, it doesn't make a lot of psychological sense sometimes, but they're very entertaining shows. Yeah. And, you know, but I feel like our, our product is going to be a really true alternative to those. Yeah. And obviously, you know, I'm not comparing it to them. I'm not, I'm not that delusional. I'm delusional sometimes, but I'm not that delusional. No. Um, but, you know, you got to start somewhere. Yeah. And I really feel like Christmas Star Wars is going to be um, the start of us presenting our true product. Let's talk about Christmas Star Wars. I just saw that card uh, after we exchanged online messaging. And you've got a great card. Uh, talk about it a little bit for us, where it's going to be at. Kind of uh, what's, what's the main Star Wars, December 11th at Southern Junction in Irving, Texas. Um, tickets are available at Eventbrite or at worldclassprowrestling.com. Okay. Uh, we got 10 matches. Uh, we got special appearances. Mark Lawrence returns as the voice of world class for the first time in like yeah. 30 years. Yeah. Uh, Mark is such a good dude, one of the, one of the finest human beings. Uh, you know, we got Eric Embry returning for the first time in 30 years in a permanent role. And that's great. You know, Eric has already lived this life. You know, he, um, you know, after, after world class was on the downturn, uh, you know, back in the late eighties, you know, Eric came in and when many, when many, many people were under the assumption that the Texas territory was dead, mm-hmm. he revived it. Yeah. You know, he saved that territory and they were, uh, making money hand over fist. So Eric yeah. has already been in this territory. He knows how to make it successful. Yeah. Uh, you know, him and Kevin are like a dream team of sorts. You know, so we, yeah. we, and we have Mick Foley coming back to world class for the first time since he got started. You know? yeah. And that's crazy. Oh, all, that. it took, all it took was one phone call from Eric to Mick to get that done. And, and, you know, Mick is such a stand-up dude. Uh, you know, Eric was very instrumental in jump-starting Mick's career. Mm-hmm. And Mick has not forgotten that. That's great. We got Fuego Del Sol versus Gideon Bane. Gideon and Fuego have both been a couple of our mainstays for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, like we talked about earlier, Fuego signed to AEW now. We got Andrew Anderson, who's been all over the independent circuit. He was in the movie The Wrestler. He was in the TV show Gotham. Uh, we got him against uh, uh, stepbrother Tigo. Tigo has been with me for... 15 years, 15 years. That's Got a lot of championships for me. Yeah. Uh, had an amazing match with John Morrison, in fact, at Oklahoma two multiple-time tag team champion. Um, we got Action Jackson. I haven't worked with him before, you know, but he's really kind of the last working member of the original world class that still wrestles. Action so very cool. For, yeah, very cool for him to come back, uh, you know, to where it got started for him. You yeah. know, it's obviously not that world class, but, you know. Right. The next best thing. <laughs> yeah. He's working out uh, Flex Zerba, and Flex is one of my favorite guys that works for me. You know, whenever we were doing a lot of these crossovers, these crazy crossovers that most people, you know, it's funny because everybody enjoyed them, but at the time people think they're crazy. Yeah. And uh, Flex would do whatever role we had for him, no matter what it was or how shameful it was. He had no problem doing. It. He had. Uh, he was uh, in the in the Dallas episodes. You know, he was. Um, he would wear his Zubaz around. He was riding a fake cow at one point. 
we went on and did the Wizard of Oz in Wichita, where Jake the Snake was the wizard, <laughs> and and he was a uh, he was the cowardly line on the Wizard of Oz. From there, we went on and did Smokey and the Bandit, and he was like the bad cop that was trying to chase down Chavo Guerrero, and. Uh, <laughs> And he eventually catches him at the end, and Chavo and MVP proceed to beat him up really bad. Yeah. Uh, from there, we did a we did a, a our own version of Smallville in Kansas. Uh, I was a huge Smallville fan, so it's very cool yeah. to do that. And Flex, it was around Christmas time, and Flex was he was very delusional. He thought, uh, even though his dad was clearly Santa Claus, he thought for some reason that he was Superman. <laughs> and so he thought that he had superpowers and the whole miniseries was about him yeah. really just not being Superman but thinking in his mind that he was and then in the main event Santa Claus ended up helping him with the win by hitting somebody with a chair <laughs> so Flex is, is one of my favorite dudes because no matter what we did you know he's always been there uh, we got a girls match Danny B versus Kelsey Reagan Danny B uh, recently got signed to uh, WOW uh, women of wrestling. Okay. Uh, she actually had her first match for me a couple of years ago. She went down and trained with Booker T for a while in Houston. Okay. Chelsea Reagan is out of Florida. Uh, she's an up and comer too. She's one of Devon Dudley's students. Uh, okay. You know, I always like to try. Uh, I used to be really good at it. Kind of got away from it whenever we started using a lot of names. But I like to, to pay attention to what names keep falling out in front of me. You know, and try to try to mm-hmm. look at them, bring them in, get them while they're hot. Okay. Um, or get them while they're becoming hot. Yeah. Uh, we have Moonshine Mantel versus Jacob Fatu. This is actually a rematch uh, from our October show, one of the best matches I've seen in person. Those guys wow. can go. You know, I mean, they're two heavyweights, and they were out there hitting Canadian destroyers. I mean, they're, they're <laughs> amazing workers. Jacob Fatu is a former MLW champion. And uh, Moonshine Mantel, he's been on AEW a couple times. Um, I wouldn't call him a, a best-kept secret, you know, but uh, – it's amazing to me that somebody hasn't signed that guy. Yeah. Uh, we got Double D and Kyle Hawk. Double D is one of uh, – he's been one of the best workers in Oklahoma forever, you know, for years and years. Uh, he can work anybody. He's a, such a talented worker, one of the best pound-for-pound workers probably in wrestling. You know, he's another, another one that's a, a well-kept secret. Uh, yeah. Kyle Hawk, he's, he's been all around the United States. Uh, him and another guy that used to work with us, uh, they, they were the ones that really worked with the Von Erics for a long time. Um, we have Jenny Santana debuting. Jenny is actually uh, Tito Santana's daughter. Okay. Uh, yeah, so it'll be her debut match. She's also a multiple-time uh, jiu-jitsu champion. Oh. So she has a very decorative <laughs> background. Uh, her, yeah. her background is, is uh, really kind of more impressive than Ronda Rousey, minus the UFC part. So okay. she, that's how decorated she is. She's a, a multiple-time champion. She'll be okay. wrestling Erica Torres which has also been one of ours for a long time. Erica is also uh, the youngest NWA women's champion ever. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. And then we have uh, the Texas Heavyweight Championship on the line, the Blood Hunter versus Carlita. I don't know if you've seen the Blood Hunter, but he's one of the scariest wrestlers in wrestling. You know, we saw him wrestle Sandman a couple of months ago, and, oh, man, it just makes you cringe sometimes. He's huge. He's a really yeah. big guy, very physical throwback wrestler. Okay. Um, you know, hopefully Carlito comes ready for this. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I would not be in the ring with the Blood Hunter. Period. I, I will pass on that. We have um, 
we vacated our tag team titles over COVID. Uh, one of the guys tore his ACL that was the champion. Okay. So we have um, the OMGs, which uh, they come from a, a Texas company that unfortunately uh, ceased operations, at least temporarily, SWE. They were really big down here for a minute. And okay. they were their tag team champions, and they'll be wrestling uh, Devastation Reborn, which is a spinoff of Devastation. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. With Akbar and Al Farad. Al Farad actually, um, he actually worked with Skandar Akbar, son. Oh, okay. So okay. it was kind of passed down from him to him. That's great. And um, and then we have Gino Medina from MLW taking on Charlie Haas. And, Charlie you know, Haas. Charlie Haas still right now, not old Charlie Haas, this Charlie Haas, one of the best technical wrestlers in the game. And honestly, I think he's even better now than he was then okay. because uh, he's become such a, a polarizing heel. You know, I think that heels are, um, I think heels are not what they used to be. Yes, I think think Neil, I think now, I think now people would rather be the cool heel than be a true heel. Yeah. And, you know, Charlie is a straight up heel. He will not even come out and and sign pictures. If you want one, you can buy one and they will take it back to him and he will sign it. But he will not come out there and be your buddy. That's great. You know, that's that's and, great. And to me, that that's how wrestling should be. You, know, you I need to go throw back. Yeah, they do. And that's – I was going to ask you that real quick. You've been in for a while, and wrestling today versus wrestling even 20 years ago is, is flipped to me a 180. And I think a lot of it, honestly, is the social media aspect because on social media – you know, they, they, they're out of character or whatever you want to call it, I guess. They're their person. Uh, and sometimes they come into character, but for the most part, you know, there might be a, a heel in the ring, but then when they're out of the ring and they're on social media, they're your buddy or they want to be, you know, whatever. And, and I think that's kind of a lost art, my opinion. You're right. You're exactly right. You know, it's changed so much. Social media is a big part of it. And also yep. selling merchandise is a big part of it. You know, yeah. people, a lot of them rely on their merchandise. Money. Back in the day, Hills used to get a percentage of uh, baby faces merchandise. Now, you know, they go out and tend for themselves. And so mm-hmm. it's never made a lot of sense to me how you can go out and be so dastardly in a match, but then turn around and kiss people's ass so you can get their money. You know, I mean, it, it makes no analogy. logical sense. You know, I mean, it makes no logical sense if you think about it because a heel, yeah. you know, should be the bad guy all the time. You know, it's yeah. funny, uh, Kyle Hawk, actually, uh, one of our heels, uh, he goes out and sells merchandise. But he stays in character. Yeah. And it's wild because he sells so much merchandise and he's being a complete a-hole the whole entire time. Yeah. You know, and, but if you're going to go out and do that, I think that's how it needs to be. Yeah. Because right. – um, how are people, obviously people know at this point it's a work. Yeah. Uh, but how are they going to even buy into what's going on, even while they're there, if you totally flip characters just to go sell some money? Yeah. Oh, I and I think, you know, heels cheat. They cheat. And a lot of heels don't even cheat anymore on TV. Or yeah. if you watch a match, in, it, it, even if you don't know who somebody is, you turn on a match. You should be able to tell, tell if they're a heel or a face. Yep. And if you can't, that's an immediate issue. You know? mm-hmm. I think that um, the, the change in the way wrestling is presented and the way that it's gone more move-based 
you know, I don't think that the boom period that's going on right now, I don't think it's sustainable. No. Because you can't have that attachment to these moves. It has to be deeper than that. Yeah. And, you know, I hope I'm wrong. I really do. I hope that, I hope it is sustainable. But I think whenever, um, you know, AEW at first, I, I thought their intention was to go out and build a lot of new stars. Mm-hmm. But now it seems like they're becoming like WWE 2.0. You know? And, yeah. You know, yeah, you bring in CM Punk and that's all good and great for Daniel Bryan or a lot of those guys. But it's like they pop the ratings for a week or two, but then they go right back down to what they were before. Yeah. You know, I I was talking to um, Jimmy Hart a couple months ago, and he brought this up, and I hadn't really thought about it. And he said, you know, whenever Vince was looking for a replacement for Hulk, you know, he wanted to mix superstar. Mm-hmm. He said a superstar, somebody that you see in an airport, even if you don't watch wrestling, you know who they are. That is a superstar. And he said, so based off that criteria, he said, if C- if you saw CM Punk in, in an airport and you were not an avid wrestling watcher, would you even know who that is? No. You wouldn't. And I'm not knocking CM Punk. I actually like CM Punk. Yeah. It is true. He said, so who today would you notice in an airport? I said, Lesnar? He's like, yeah, Brock. I said, maybe Roman Reigns? Yeah. He said, yeah. And he said, who else? And I was like, Cena? Uh, Does that count? He's like, yes, that counts. Yeah. You know, in my mind, I think uh, Cena was probably the last global superstar that was created. I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, heck, my kids, well, my kids didn't care for wrestling, but they knew who John Cena was. Exactly. And And they're friends. They all knew who John Cena was. You know who Barry Switzer is? Yeah, coach of yeah, Oklahoma. The one time I was hanging out with Barry Switzer, and uh, I told him I was in the wrestling business, and he was like, oh, that's great. What weight class are you in? I was like, <laughs> this guy. <laughs> and, you know, I said, uh, sir, it's not that kind of wrestling. And the way I explained it, I said, it's Hulk Hogan wrestling. He goes, oh, you know, because to me, um, you know, people can say what they want about Hogan. He's obviously not perfect, and he's made mistakes. But yeah. uh, to me, that's still the most recogniz- recognizable name in the history of wrestling, hands down. Yeah, yeah. I agree. You know, Stone oh, Cold is probably pretty close up there, too. Yeah. And Flair, of course. Somehow yeah. Flair has become a cultural icon. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you one more thing. Uh I think another piece that's missing in the wrestling business is managers. And I don't mean just standing there in the corner. I mean getting involved, tripping somebody when they're coming across the ring and into the ropes, you know, like Bobby Heenan, Jimmy Hart, Mr. Fuji. I could go on that did that stuff. You know, they put their cane out or whatever it was and and trip them or get up there and blow something in their face or throw an object into the – the ring for the guy to hit the other guy with that is such it's non-existent. Now, Paul Heyman sits, stands in the corner and makes facial gestures and that's about it. You don't see anybody else anymore. And it's a lost art in my opinion. It and, is a lost art. And, and I, and I, it's not just your opinion. It's fact. Yeah. And the reason being is, um, 
you know, back then managers helped make superstars. Yeah. They helped cover for some of the ones they can't talk. Mm-hmm. Instead of writing tele- lines on a teleprompter that somebody could read, you have people talk for you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to me, that's still way more genuine than reading a teleprompter. Yeah. But, you know, for years, not so much recently, but for years, that was my problem with Roman Reigns. So I felt like everything he was doing was he was reading somebody else's work. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas opposed, like, you you put these managers with somebody, and they were game changers back then. You know, it didn't yeah. matter if it was Bobby Heenan or – or even somebody like Slick or, you know, like uh, like Jim Cornette. Just yeah. so many, so many pieces. So these managers enhanced so many people, you know. Even Paul E., whenever, you know, whenever he was like old school Paul E. Yeah, Paul E. Dangerously. Yeah. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And, you know, even when Sonny came along, you know, the, the evolution of the manager, it was such an important part. And now it's just miraculously gone. And, it, and it is mind-blowing. It's a big problem. Yeah. You know, AEW tries to have that, but it's just not the same feel for me. Yeah, no, I agree. I like Pulley. Uh, Arn doesn't make a lot of – Arn doesn't really do much for me, you know, and I'm not knocking, but, you know, like I like what Pulley's doing there. But it, it's just a lost art, man. You yeah. know, there's just something about those characters – yeah. You know, like the Jimmy Hearts and stuff like that. I mean, there's yeah. something about them. You know, they they made even J.J. Dillon, people like that, they yeah, made was, these people better. I was going to say you love to hate them because they made you so mad and so upset. You wanted to throw something at the TV or something. And I was a kid, you know, when J.J. Dillon and all those guys, you know, I bought into it because it was so believable because it came from their heart. You know, they said they didn't have a teleprompter in front of them. They said what was on their mind. They didn't have a script. They didn't have any of that stuff. They were yeah. real characters. They were real. Okay. They came out. They did their job. They didn't read a teleprompter. They promoted their guys. And they you did know, a I great remember job. At it. The first time I worked with me and Gene, you know, um, man, that was high on my bucket list. Gene was a, uh, oh, man. Gene was amazing. Mm-hmm. Out, you know, up there with Jim Ross, Gene did more for me than anybody, and he believed in me. And uh, I remember the first time he worked for me. You know, I told him just come in and do this. It was the Oklahoma Two show, and I said just come in and do this appearance and do a couple of. Things. So he does the appearance, and he's like, he's like, all right. He's like, so uh, what do you want me to do? And I was like, go do your thing. And he was like, you're not going to tell me what to do. I said, Gene, I said, there's a whole locker room full of people back there you probably haven't seen or worked with in a while. I'm not going to tell you how to do your job because you're the greatest of all time. Just go do a couple and we're good. He ended up doing, I think, five. <laughs> wow. And, uh, you know, I remember the next week we had the show and uh, Eric, that was show Eric Bischoff was on. It was me, Eric, and, and Gene. We're sitting at the bar having some drinks and he was like, you're not going to believe it, Eric. It's like the good old days working here. He's like, you know, he, he just told me to go do what I wanted. You know, and and Gene was, I mean, he made that magic on his own. Whenever we first started doing TV, Gene was a late fill-in for our first uh, for our first TV episode. And, you know, TV's a different game because whenever you're under contract with WWE, they can't appear on TV. Even if it's Legends deals, most of them can't appear on TV. 
Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, so Gene's sitting down there waiting, whatever, and he's like, Jerry, what am I doing? I'm like, you can't do anything, remember? And he's like, I'm here to help you. I said, I appreciate that, but you can't, I can't get in trouble with them again. And he's yeah. like, he's like, if we get in trouble, I'll take the heat for it. I'm going to do my job. I'll talk to you later. And he just walked out and went. And he went up there and just did his job and was so amazing. And, yeah. You know, that's the difference, I think, in, in that era and this era. You know, you look at even the Von Erichs work. You know, they weren't five-star workers in the ring. They weren't five-star promos, but you believed in them. Yeah. You believed in them. Yeah. And, and believing in a product is one of the most important aspects to it. Yeah. It doesn't matter if it's perfect. Yeah. You know, what matters is it's from the heart. Yeah. And, and I think that was the massive appeal of the Von Erics, where, yeah. you know, at one point, they were that family that you wish you had. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's how it appeared. And yeah. they were they were really good at that. And people don't understand, you know, a lot of the younger people, they don't understand how important world-class was to wrestling. They don't yeah. understand that world-class were the first people to do modern-day vignettes. They don't understand world-class were, were the first uh, people to do multiple camera angles. They don't understand world-class were the first people to mic a wrestling. They don't understand world-class was the first people to have syndication overseas. They don't understand world-class was the largest house ever at the Cotton Bowl until WWE eventually broke that record. They don't understand just how important to wrestling history world-class was. And for those of you watching and listening that, that aren't aware, uh, you can actually get on YouTube and watch Heroes of World Class, which is yeah. uh, do not watch the WWE documentary as with any other thing they do. Um, that's just WWE's version of history, not real history. <laughs> but um, the Heroes of World Class is free. It's on YouTube. And I promise you it'll be one of the best wrestling documentaries you ever watch. All right. And I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> You're just promoting it. Okay. It, it's really good. You know, I actually, um, my company also has college interns, like credited college interns. Oh, that's great. And um, whenever I would get any intern that, that wasn't really familiar with the wrestling business, that would be part of their work was you had to watch the documentary. Okay. Wonderful. Well, I'm going to have to close it here. <laughs> I talk a long time, man. No, no, you've done great. No, I really appreciate it. Um, I know you talked earlier. There's an important game on here. For uh, I'm still watching it. <laughs> okay. okay. Lakers and the Celtics, the most historic rivalry in the NWA. Uh, or the uh, NWA. NBA. NBA, yes. Mr. Jerry Bosick, thank you so much for coming on tonight. I really appreciate it. All your insight and knowledge. Um, and folks, if you uh, get on social media, look for Jerry's Facebook page, look for World Class Facebook page. They're all over social media. Like them, subscribe to them. And same with us. If you're listening, please subscribe. If you're a first-time listener, let us know how we are. Uh, there's feedback. There's all social media. I appreciate it. Again, Mr. Jerry Bosick, CEO and founder of World Class uh, Pro Wrestling. Thank you so much for coming on, sir. I appreciate it. Thank you, Brian. Uh, for World Class guys, check worldclassprowrestling.com, Twitter and Instagram at World Class Rev, Facebook, World Class Pro Wrestling. Make sure you subscribe to Brian's podcast as well. Everybody have a good night. Remember, be good to each other. 
yeah. love each other, listen to people when they talk to you, and yeah. you never know whose day you might make. God bless everybody. Thank you, sir. God bless. Take care. This is Lance Storm, and if I can be serious for a minute, you're listening to VOC Nation Worldwide. VOC Nation is one of the longest-running wrestling podcast networks. Having started way back in 2010, VOC Nation provides daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with their hosts and guests via phone calls, emails, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts also include former backstage interviewer from both AWA and WWE, Ken Resnick, former WCW performer The Maestro, former Impact performer Wes Crisco, Pro Wrestling Illustrated contributor Brady Hicks, and former Philadelphia radio personality Bruce Wirtz. VOC Nation's two most popular shows are Wrestling with History, featuring Ken Resnick and Bruce Wirtz, streaming live on Wednesday nights at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, and In the Room, featuring Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks and WCW alum The Maestro. Both shows take callers live during the show, and recent guests have included... General Adnan, Tito Santana, Haku, Earl Hebner, Danger Sandy Davis, Jimmy Hart, Ricky Steamboat, Brodus Clay, and so many more. Archive free content includes past interviews with huge names like Hulk Hogan, Jesse Ventura, Kurt Angle, Sting, Mick Foley, Joey Styles, Howard Finkel, and so many more. Listen live at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all the podcasts by searching VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. And be sure to follow these guys on Twitter, at VOC Nation. Hola, this is your amiga, Shelly from Cali. To let you know, you can catch me here on VOC Nation for Shelly Live. You never know what the hell I'm going to be talking about. Sometimes I have guests. Sometimes I let you on in the cheese mess, spill a little tea. Sometimes I cry. You have to tune in to find out why. And I also take your calls. I love chatting with you guys and seeing what the hell you guys are thinking. So meet me here on the VOC Nation. Be there or be square. Rock and Roll Union for the past two years has been the place for rock and roll, new rock and roll, debuting rock and roll, and some of the old classics as well. We have welcomed guests from around the world, national artists and more. We have excited many people by our live events. We've welcomed everybody into the fold, and we continue to do so on a weekly basis. Guys, that is Rock and Roll Union, and that is what we do for you. Saturdays, 6 p.m. Eastern, VOCNation.com. Each and every Thursday night, check it out. WCW star Stro Maestro takes you on a journey. It's WCW Retro. Talking old school match of the week, talking dream matches, taking your calls and looking back on an incredible career of acting, entertaining, and wrestling. Check it out. VOCNation.com. WCW Retro. Be sure to call in Thursday nights, 9 Eastern, on the VOC Nation radio network. The worldwide leader in entertainment. This is the VOC Nation radio network.